are a group of care experts with a vision of creating a world where care experienced people are thriving, not just surviving. We share our knowledge and experience to inform, uplift and empower young care experienced people to navigate the conflicts and challenges of life. In this season, we cover a range of different topics, all with a focus on personal development, from relationships, mental health and trauma, thinking about success and reimagining the care system. We know that some of these topics can be triggered, so before you listen, have a read of the summary so you can get an idea of what we'll be talking about. And as always, look after yourself and reach out if you need support. Hi everyone and welcome back to Let's Talk Conflict. My name's Evie, I'm going to be a host of today's episode. Today we're joined by George, Alice, Shanika and Ashley. So in today's episode we're going to be speaking about if we could reform the care system, what it would look like and what our idyllic perfect care system would look like. So we're going to start off with a little check-in. So how's everyone's week been? How is everyone? Good. Yeah, mine's been good, thanks. Glad to hear it. Yeah, mine's not been too bad so far. So, shall we just jump straight into it? So, if we were going to redesign the care system, what principles should the new system be based on? And what would be at the heart of it for us? I can go first. So, for me, it would be more funding, but also better spending on the funding that they've already got, making sure that it's going to things like preventative social care, early help, and making sure that, yeah, that they're spending it better but I feel like the first things first is we just need so so much money pouring into the care system that's a massive one for me. I totally agree and I think as well like it's so difficult comparing like local authority to local authority I know but you know there should be a general amount that is like fair you get more support more funding more stuff in certain authorities that you're not getting in others and you know, we talk about that postcode lottery and stuff. It's just something that's that shouldn't happen or shouldn't be a, an issue where it, where it just is and it just creates more issues after that. So, you know. Yeah, no, 100% on that. It always boils back down to the postcode lottery and the places that, yeah, that are seen as the more affluent areas to get better funding and therefore have better outcomes. Um, Yeah, because they've got a bit more money to be able to afford to care as you said before Alice so perfectly yeah and also they don't have as many people in their borough in care usually like if it's a wealthier borough there's less children in need of intervention so yeah it would be better if it was like a per child fund instead of that area gets that that area gets that it's like no however many kids you got that's how much money you get per child you know you're talking about like a needs analysis if you could bring in, say, you have a situation where you want to create an intervention. This, I mean, this is this brings you back to like sports psychology in my uni. So obviously, to create an intervention, you need to know like what's needed, what's the issues, what's going on in all areas. So it's their emotional state, their life situation, what's wrong with their sporting performance, what happens when it's going well, everything. It covers everything. So you have a real good sort of like understanding of where they are and also where they are when they're good. So you can really sort of navigate that intervention towards that good. And we're like, oh yeah, no, we know where the good is. We know where the good is. We know where the good is. And of course, like a lot of things in the care system is subjective and, you know, 
there is room for interpretation, but at the same time, that's where that needs analysis could come in. Yeah. And, you know, because it does cover that whole, say, lens or perspective. And it does look at the actual heart of the of the issue, and then you wouldn't, and then you would do what you're saying, Alice, is that per child, it would be better. I completely agree with that, and I think what I'm taking from that is you need to know what works well and what doesn't work well to be able to say what you need to do next. You need to know, yeah, what's working, what isn't, type thing. You have, you need to have a clear understanding of of the situation before you can make like positive decisions around it. It could be as simple as like. On paper, putting them with their brother instead of a foster carer, on paper you'd think, yeah, that would be better for the child because they'll be with family, blah, blah, blah. But they might just completely despise their sibling and it's going to be even more disruptive. It could be as simple as that and and that's what's so frustrating. Sorry to put in. No, no, not at all. I think it's such a valid point because it, it it's going back down to what you were saying. It's meeting the child's needs. It's not getting a paintbrush and covering everyone and saying, you know, one yeah. shoe all type thing and putting everyone in, in the same boat because everyone is different. Like we know as humans, everyone is an individual. Everyone is different. Like everyone's DNA is different. So, you know, yeah. and our experiences, they might be similar, but they are different, you know? So you can't yeah. expect to, to treat treat someone I'm saying that in quotations like you know support someone with the need can't expect to just have a set way to you know to support someone and and to expect that that meets every individual's needs because it's not going to and so and I I agree with what you're saying Alice you need to make if we were to fund each young person the funding is per young person that would definitely help with the postcode lottery but it also just me being a skeptical and being a bit like knowing how like how systems can work around things. I think there would have to be a minimum where that every young person has a minimum spend that that is they are that is their minimum amount that's that's you know and it's it's not like peanuts. Well, even if they don't yeah. spend it, they could literally like right, we're going to save that for a deposit, or we're going to save that for you for yeah. when you're going to need it because you trust me, you're going to need it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, oh. and I think there should be the social worker should be penalised for money not spent. Yeah. You know, like you know, if if like a manager's looking at the accounts and they're noticing that one young person's got so much money. Like on their, I don't want to say tab, but you know what I mean? Like if each young person had an account and, you know, before that number of whatever it should cost came up, someone had done a cost analysis of every single thing they're going to need throughout their time in care, blah, blah, blah. Like, why are you not spending this money? Why hasn't this young person had that? There's things that like all human beings need, but there could also be things that like, say, for example, George or Sport. You know, they could have shuffled the money around and gone, right, well, you're not interested in this, but actually we could use the money for this. And and also there could be leverage as well, or a bit of base for, you've actually got some quite profound learning difficulties. Why don't we, we're allowed to apply for more money now because you have extra needs or, and it'd be about helping you to find your path and yep. your journey. So like any kind of enrichment that could help you, like acting classes or cooking classes or music lessons driving lessons anything like that it could it could be you know way more person-centered care instead of just kind of a bare minimum keep you out of trouble you're not going to get much I, I, com- you know. I completely agree mate and and the thing is the work I do 
the fundraising and all that money that we get, we have to spend it all. You know, we have yeah. to spend every single yeah. penny. And it's, and it's like some people might not even need it. And we, you know, we're still giving it to them. And the same approach is needed with, with, with this. I totally, totally agree. Yeah. I think that's I where charities and like government funded, you know, like local authorities and charities are, are on completely different pages, you know, like yeah. they're just worlds and worlds apart. They really are. Because charities are, they're innovative. You know, they're constantly looking at themselves and going, how can we do this better? How can we spend this money yeah. better? Are we actually helping? Are we actually doing what, we want, what we're trying to do? Are these people benefiting? That's the main thing, you know, but they're constantly trying to get data on how they've helped people or what they've done, yeah. you yeah. know, so they can prove that to donors and say, look, this is what we're doing with the money kind of thing. Yeah, that's the thing. That's where the accountability, because they have to prove that to like to get funding yeah with social work you get you have a pot of money so you don't have to fight for it you don't have to show anything that you've done i think the only thing that's recorded now is probably the education results of look after children there's other stuff recorded but it's not in the public and it's not released so that people can actually see it yeah so, and if you think <clears throat> about it our donors are the general public that are paying tax so they need to be able to see. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no, like, things visible to say, oh, this is where the money's going. And, you know, say, for example, you had 100 young people um, not in work or employment. Is there a target to get it down from 100 to, like, eight? How is that happening? Is the public aware of that? So there's nothing around, yeah. like, specific targets. So a better system would have, like, a target. There would be some accountability to say, what went wrong? How, why didn't this happen? Or how can we learn? How can we improve? But I think within the system is currently there is the system of um, it's money driven. So it's about have we got enough money to do this? That's all I think is happening right now. That drives a certain mindset and culture as well. Yeah. That drives that kind of mindset of like, no, we'll just brush it under the carpet. And that's that culture of like not prevention or intervention or early prevention. It's just, you know, chaos, 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 chaos which yeah. really is the wrong, yeah. the completely wrong approach. Yeah, and I honestly feel as well, like, if you take care experience as a coin, you've got one side, which is the care experience, and then you've got the other side, which is the social work experience. They are two sides of the same coin. Um, and I feel like in order to get the best care from social workers and professionals within the sector, there needs to be an environment where good practice is celebrated and encouraged. And what can we do to ensure that you have the best environment in order to do your job and look after these very vulnerable children that have been through awful things? And by proxy, you are going through them too because you are exposed to those traumas. You may not be actually on the receiving end of it but you are you know by an extension involved and that takes a toll that takes a toll like if you watch a show where something traumatic's happening you feel sad and mm. it's not real and it's happening in real life there needs to be like you only should be penalized as a social worker if you are not doing the care part right if you are not caring if you are not providing the safety the stability the nurture 
that's when you should be penalised. Not if you're spending too much money. And also, if there's no money available, you can't be penalised when the young child doesn't get what they need. You know, they're kind of like giving social workers these impossible hurdles and then telling them off when they're not doing the impossible. It's creating a system where young people aren't getting what they need and the people that are meant to be giving the young people what they need can't do that either. And then they turn us against each other. We're, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be uniting because we're stronger together. And I think at the end of the day, all of us want the same thing. So our cause is their cause, vice versa. So it's not just about having these, oh, let's go down from 100 unemployed people to 80. Because, you know, it's fine saying that. But I feel like they're sending out these right, these are now new targets, go. Well, how are we going to do this? You know, because having 100 people unemployed, we can't just force someone into a job, especially if their education isn't what it needs to be, if their social skills aren't what it needs to be, if, you know, if their trauma's getting in the way of being able to be part of the community and society. Like, let's start way before that and think, oh, there's a fair few people unemployed when they leave the care system. Let's make sure that that doesn't happen not not by forcing children into a job, but by enabling an environment where they end up there because that's just the natural path. There's no desperation. There's no shaving down this square peg to fit into a round hole. It's it's cultivation. You know, encourage those young people to be the plant they were always going to be, but in a safe kind of supported way. Do you know what I mean? Don't just shove these children now into employment or you know the apprenticeship schemes are great and the internships but what happens after that and that's are they ready yeah that's where if you have these targets you can actually go in and say oh why probably maybe another bar is having 80 or a different number and Mm. you can actually go in and study what's making some young people able to go into work they can actually figure out what's working and what's not working and then they can start to improve but if it's all based around like have we got the money because it's focused on money Mm -hmm. so you need to actually look at the finer details like and again it goes back to stigma as well because the stigma is oh yeah young you know young people in care they're not going to do well and which is not true there's so many young people doing care doing well but they're not shown in the media or they're not studied or looked at. They're just celebrated. You don't. They, they don't actually investigate. Or if there's investigations done, because I did some research on this. There is research out there, but I don't think a lot of people use it or apply it on in practice, mm. or they don't know how to apply it in practice. Because again, it goes back to the training. The training isn't that great as well. You know, you're actually rushed through the training process and um, yeah. in the deep end, and you either sink or swing. You know, but. Yeah, so that's why we need targets and we need accountability. Because if you know you're going to sit down and talk about these things, you you know, things will change, hopefully. I feel like as well, like, accountability needs to be way more attainable, accessible. Like, I made a couple of complaints when I was younger because I had an advocate. That's not really something that's known about. And then having the advocate, I made the complaint and the person who I made the complaint about refused to apologise. Their manager had to apologise for them and then nothing happened when they were extremely unprofessional and 
actually very cruel in what they did and there's no accountability oh yeah that young person yeah but they're all like that aren't they do you know what i mean like taurus are with the same brush mm. they cry wolf all the time half of its lies when it isn't mm. you know there needs to be a direct like you know like a survey young person survey do you feel cared for by your social worker are you being treated well like social workers need to be not worried but they need to know that when they are and i'm not talking about mistakes because we all make mistakes i mean there are some mistakes that aren't forgivable i get okay fair enough but i'm talking about like interpersonal conflict which arises all the time they need to not be able to lose where they are and lash out or speak badly or they need to feel like i am going to have repercussions for my actions because believe you me young people have repercussions not only for their own actions but everyone that's around them as well Mm. you know we're the naughty one at school we don't we're not allowed around our friends because we're in care if something goes bad it's always the person in care's fault we have that constant like weight on our shoulders and I feel like Yes, social workers do have pressure, but it's not for the right things. It's all about financing and making sure tick boxes are ticked and admin when it really should be about are you interacting with this young person like they're human because that's what needs to be happening. And if you're not, these these are the things that are going to be happening. You know, why aren't meetings recorded? Why aren't there more independent reviewing officers? It was a legal entitlement to have one and I, I never had one. Or they weren't there at least and um yeah so there needs to be like a quicker more efficient accountability i mean and, and also i mean it's such a nuanced kind of complex thing because if you're a young person you're five years old do you have a concept of what rights are how are you going to know if you're being treated badly when that's kind of all you know anyway like this needs to be looked at on a grander scale there needs to be more eyes on on behavior of both parties all the time you know accountability integrity all of these things it needs to be paramount to the process of having a care experience and you need to feel like you're being looked after almost like a big brother or sister you know they're there you know, you, you're being protected. That was missing for me in my care experience. No, I completely agree with you on that, Alice. I think, yeah, it's it's about like changing people's attitudes completely. But I think it's also there's also something around, yeah, definitely having making people more accountable, having a having a system in place where, yeah, it's not hidden and yeah, it's mm. people are made more aware of things. And going back to like, you know, like the targets for young people and things like that, it's once again, it's completely rethinking about that. It's it's having a look at that and looking at the targets that we've already got and like thinking, it does that align with the outcomes that we're wanting to achieve for young people? Because for me, another exactly. big one would be to ensure that young people experience love and care and stability yeah. and nurturing. And that's that needs to be at the heart of our social care and that's been lost because like we say yeah. people are just are just are just running on empty type thing they're you know it's constantly just um crisis intervention it's not crisis prevention or even prevention work at, at all um but yeah i think that kind of leads us on nicely to what what 
should be in place or what what do we think should be in place to improve the lives of young people in care so like for me a big thing is like just ensuring like I said you know making sure that young people experience love and care and stability and nurture and that yeah it means making sure they've got a home a, a happy home to live in but it also means like giving them experiences giving young people experiences to try and see new things you know taking them to a farm taking them abroad on a holiday you know I, I was reading something before it was about um about a lady in Denmark who runs a children's home and about the good practice that basically goes on in this children's home and it's 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 a complete community you know one night a week the the old, older children that between like 16 and 18 they'll cook for the younger children not not anything special but just something light something nice and easy and that's preparing them getting into you know learning yeah. how to cook meals learning how to cook for other people and then once a year they go abroad to a different country to go on holiday and experience something and I mean how many young people in our care system have never experienced a holiday have never tried oh, like yeah. different foods have never seen different animals I've never even seen like if they're in a city I've never seen like fields and different types of flowers you know it's it's things like that it's experiences like this that we need to be giving to our young people at the end of the day social services are our corporate parents so they love to use this line would it be good enough for your child in the local care offer and it's like well would it be you know for your children you want them to go out and experience new things and try new things and be open to things so we should be doing that for in my eyes the people that need it the most which is young people in care i completely agree because it is the experiences that shape us and, and a lot of time we don't necessarily have those nice experiences. It's usually, you know, bad ones that we remember. And to have that bit of nice or that bit of like, you know, break where you can go and do something that, you know, you wouldn't normally do, like you're, like you're talking about, Evie. And, um, you know, someone could hold on to that for the rest of their life. You know, someone could be like, that's what I want. That's where I want to be. You know, that's how I want to feel again. It's putting something tangible in yeah. their memory. It's putting something really tangible in their in their in their memory that's like that's just good for their well being and just nice. Mm. And yeah, you know that that in itself could really you know give people that sort of boost they need or that vision or that that sort of path. You know, at least they will know what it would feel like once once they're like happy or if they're in a good place because a lot of the time they're not of course like at the end of the day we're, we're all aware like society as a whole in general is aware that people's mental health is rapidly declining like everyone has really really suffered throughout the pandemic it's it's all been different but it is but it is massively massively affected young people in care like there, there was a report um there was a, an article made by the guardian and it said a fifth of children in care and self-harmed throughout the pandemic and to me like I don't see them them figures as reliable whatsoever I'd see that one fifth I'd see that more likely as like three fifths to be honest yeah got to think a of where they've been able to actually get get in touch with these young people it said 
there's around 80,000 young people in care in England and they managed to speak to 1,300. That was the statistics that they got from speaking to those young people. I, I imagine them to be in real life be a lot, lot higher. And it's exposing young people to positive, happy experiences that is going to help with their mental health, you know, help create a positive experience, an environment for them to feel happy and feel positive emotions because they have been nine times out of ten the re a reason why a young person is in care is because they've been exposed to neglect or abuse or mm. some form some form of neglect and abuse and it's like yeah if all they've been exposed to is negative sadness then they need to have these experiences to show them what life can be like and so to help their mental health yeah I completely agree and and I am like I am living proof of that I feel like because I you know I was I wasn't good in school I wasn't good anywhere really everyone was telling me how much of a naughty person I was or how bad I was bad behaved whatever I didn't go to school but then as soon as I started playing sport I was I was told how amazing I was, how good I could be, you know. I had all these people around me that were just nice, be, like being nice to me. I've gone to tournaments where I've been like, you know, meeting just really important people, and they're treating me like I'm one of them, and I'm like I'm really not. But you know what I mean? It's, it gives you that that buzz and that feeling and that emotion. You know, it's like something. So you get a taste of something, you want to do it again and again and again. Someone's telling you you're good. Someone's telling you, you know, you're going to be amazing or you've got potential or you've got talent. If you do this, that and the other, you're going to be good. Good. You're going to go and do that. You're going to feel like, yes, that's where I want to be. That's only where I want to be because everywhere else is so bad. And, and another thing I was going to say, actually, with this, you know, they won't help you unless you're like, unless it's like educational. That's their like policies. Yeah. Like, if it's educational, I'm doing that in brackets, by the way. And, you know, that can mean so many things, but it's so restricted at the same time. You know, why is it so restricted? Like so many things can be educational. So many things can be just like, like we're talking about that well-being and all these things. You know, they say they need to act, participate in well-being and health activities and stuff like that in policies. But like, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, exactly. yeah. The definitions of that needs to change. Like their definitions, social care's definitions of well-being and education needs to be re-looked at and changed so that they see these things like sports and meeting up with a positive person to just have a coffee and have a nice chat they see that as really important imperative things that are needs and that must be prioritized for this young person to thrive i agree um going back to the money i think if we focus on money then you can't really focus on love and i think love is free caring for somebody is free you know it doesn't take money to do that it takes empathy and it takes you having that headspace to do it. You know, a lot of social workers are under a lot of pressure and are risk averse, which mm -hmm. kind of prevents that from happening. But if the system was to change, whereby social workers were actually given a way to be more therapeutic in their approach, mm -hmm. yeah. or probably go back into the communities and like be more like 
make relationships in the community, like a community social worker going into the schools, going to like, yeah. you know, parenting, you know, classes, even though they don't exist. But stuff like that, I think, will provide a way to, for social workers to be more therapeutic. And maybe it might be that you split the system whereby you have some social workers that are mainly therapeutic or preventative, and then you have those that are more risk averse, maybe in safeguarding and stuff like that. But yeah, it, you need, for it to work, you need love because the reason why a lot of us go into the care system is because we're unloved. And the only thing that can heal us is love. It's not money because throwing money at something, yes, it gives you material things, but ultimately it's love. And I, most of my research that I've done in, around young people that come out of the care system and probably gone on to do well, they always talk about having somebody that really care about them or somebody that show them love mm-hmm. and somebody that go above and beyond. So it's not money, it's actually people caring and being allowed to care. And it's free. Love is free. It doesn't cost the love. I think it goes back to what Alice said before. It's it's so true, Shanika. Love is free, I think. But people need to be able to afford to care. And that is especially the people within the care system. I'll never, ever forget you saying that, Alice. It stuck with me. That's what it is. People, I can't see how and what, what has gave me such like a fire inside is because I'm like how can people not care about young people why don't people care that the young people are being failed and we must do something we must use our voice to speak out and make people aware and it's like genuinely now I, I don't believe that social workers have come in with bad intentions I do believe that they came in 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 wanting to help and wanting to support young people and wanting to do better and do good but I, I just don't feel the system itself social services system supports them in being able to afford to care and that's why we need to look at like other countries that are doing better and learn that learn why they're doing better and know it doesn't the young people themselves don't we don't we don't don't necessarily need three thousand pounds a week we need the love that's exactly what we need but we also understand that social workers have got bills to pay they need the money too and so like you know if we look after the people that are looking after the young people, then hopefully their outcomes would be a lot better too. Yeah, and I think as well, like, afford to care, yes, fiscally, right, like financially, but caring is free financially, but caring is not free, like, mentally and emotionally. And I feel like in understanding that, yes, social workers, they need money, we all need money, but they need to be given tools and care mm. in the way that they need to be not burnt out emotionally or mentally. They need to be in an environment where they can afford to care mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Like empathy is taxing. Mm. Like I have to like shut my eyes sometimes and just not see it or I get uh, desensitized because it's just too taxing. It's, it's too much. And, you know, throwing money at social workers is not going to then all of a sudden enable them to be able to deal with the with the awful things they have to have to see and then if you look at it the way that like it's the same for young people for example Wales have just said that they're going to be now universal basic income so there's a trial going on where I think it's young people from 18 to 20 will be getting 1,600 pound a month to live on that is great love that really good however are we just prolonging the inevitable after those 24 months 
are they then going to be not able to get a job with the same amount of money or more so that the lifestyle they are now used to live in, they can't keep that going? Is their rent going to be too expensive now? You know, are they actually able to cope with that amount of money a month? Do they understand budgeting? Are they also involved in education, enrichment, life building, like life skills building? Like, what are we doing to make sure that that money is only to facilitate a situation where when that money runs out, isn't they are not going to notice. Mm. They are they are going to be on to the next level. They'll be earning money from a job or some kind of business plan they've got going. Whatever they need that that money should be to facilitate the healing and you know the bettering of their skills of being an adult. Like being a child, every day of your life as a child is preparation and training for adult life yeah you know and if we are if you just look for a second of what it's like for us as as care leavers our world is gray we're often very poor we've had extreme traumas within our life if we're poor that means our family haven't come from you know professional we're working class you know we're not we're not exposed to any kind of enrichment if you said to someone who had only ever eaten bread and butter their whole life, or oh, would you fancy for dinner, you can have anything, they're going to say bread and butter because they don't even know that other food exists, right? How can you expect someone in care to know what they want to do with their life, have any kind of like belief they're going to do it to be able to get a career? They have no experience outside of the, of the environment they've grown up in. And if you want people to have jobs when they leave care, don't put have job when they leave care as a target, but have experience of life so they know where they want to go. Putting these targets in is is almost like pie in the sky when all of the base necessities are not there. We need a situation where we have the freedom of making a few mistakes, learning, trying, doing this, doing that. And then once we get to adulthood, we're ready. When professionals are looking at these targets and looking at these issues, they only know their environment, they only know their experiences, and sometimes it really doesn't correlate. And it's so important to have care experienced people involved in these policies, involved in these processes. But no, you don't understand because a lot of the time we're literally trying to keep our head above water. How are we going to be able to develop a life that we're going to take with us when we leave care when we are struggling to breathe you have to be able and that 1600 pound a month yeah great that's gonna help do that but also we need the support to be able to make that money count to make it matter to make it not just two years where you're not falling down and then once you don't get the money anymore you're falling down again like it needs to be looked at at that you know stop prolonging the inevitable change the end of the story give us more to work with you know Going back to what you just said, Alex, about like um, jobs, the negative outcomes for looked after children that that's in the current system is showing there's something going on, there's something wrong. Because a healthy child should be able to meet, like come out of the system and be, not end up as a neat. So yeah. that, and, and, and they track these things. They know what's going on. So if that's happening, coming through the care system, obviously there's obvious, it's showing you there's signs that either there's, there's trauma, something that's preventing this from happening. And that's where you don't just see the stats and say, oh, they're, they're all going to just end up like that. 
you actually go in and investigate what is setting certain young people coming out of the system that are not neat. I don't see none of that going on. Like, are people yeah. actually studying these things? So there needs to be more research into what's, what's causing good outcomes and what, what's causing bad outcomes. Yeah, you what's know? the magic ingredients? Yeah. Let's replicate. Yeah, let's replicate that as best we can. Instead of, oh, they're all going to just come out and be, you know, neat. And I, I, that, that's a lot of stigma because people don't expect you to do well when you're in the care system. They don't expect you to come. They just assume that you're going to be a statistic. But it doesn't happen. There's a lot of us out here doing well, but nobody has the time to sit down and look at it. Yes, they celebrate it, but nobody's actually investigating what's causing that. And I've actually done research on this. And it's the, it goes back to having, some, having stability, like not being moved around a lot in care, like having a stable home, having actual foster carers and people that believe in you and care about you and actually show you love, you know? It's simple things like that. And that's what the research is showing. But yet people don't, I don't know, the system refuses to kind of, if you're, you're lucky, you get that, you know? Yeah. I think for me, everything always, always, always boils back down to money. And like what you were saying, Shanika, with the stability, some, that's something that has, has had massive, massive knock-on effect with due to the lack of funding, the stability in, in placements. And not even just like play, foster placements and, and residential children's homes, but even like support for accessing mental health services and things like mm-hmm. that. You Use know. Clubs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what youth clubs? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, there aren't any nowadays. That's that's another thing. It's like it, they they just aren't any available. I remember when I was younger, there were youth clubs around around corner from our doctors, and it would just shut down. We used to sit outside it, like yeah. it was it was a derelict building, you know. And our house out. Like I think a big thing as well, going back down to what you were saying, Alice, around you know this one thousand is it one thousand six hundred a month? Yeah, yeah. It's like what you were saying, like, yeah, brilliant that you're giving this money, but actually you're setting young people up to fail. Like, what what are you doing by giving this money? Like, yeah, are you setting young people to, up to fail or what? And I think it goes back to what we've been saying before about setting young people up so that they can be self-sustainable and, you know, and equip themselves. We can, you know, to equip young people with skills so that, you know, they know how to navigate adulthood and they know where to go to as well if they're not too sure. And, you know, for me, why it always boils back down to money is because this isn't seen as a priority in our social care system at the moment because because of the lack of money that they've got. They're too busy using the money that they've got, A, to give to private fostering agencies for placement and also for crisis intervention work. Like, they haven't got funding to look at, the extra what you you know if you were at a restaurant what you'd class as a side or an extra they, they yeah. are, that's what they see as like preventative work and and giving young people love and and giving them positive experiences they see that as a bit of a, an add-on nice extra type thing because the, they're struggling to meet the bare minimum needs of young people anyway they're struggling with what they've got already and yeah it, it's like you were saying Alice it's it's not just being able to afford financially, it's mentally, you know, it's yeah. all aspects of things. But for me, it, to me, I always see it boiling back down to money and the reason why 
these services are in places because they're not prioritised because of lack of funding. Yeah, um, and I, I, I wish as well, I really, really hope that one day when you turn 18, the normal thing isn't to sit down with your social worker and sign on for benefits. Yeah, yeah. I really, really wish that that is like a slim minority that have to do that for some extenuated circumstance. I hate that it's the norm. I hate mm-hmm. that when they turn 18, they, they, go on, they go on benefits. No, we should have a plan. We should have something that means that we are going to uni or we are in employment. We are starting our career. We should have something in place by this point. Fine. If you go into care six months before your 18th birthday, all right, let you off. You know, you need some healing time. You need to be looked after a little bit longer. You need some help. Fine. But if you're in care from like early teens or, or you know, preteens, young, you, you've got there's enough time there. It shouldn't be the, the next step. It, it's just ridiculous. There's going right, lean on the state, lean on the state, lean on the state. And it's like, and then we're, that's thrown in our faces about how we're neat and we're this and we're that. And, but what do you expect? <laughs> you, that was literally what I did on my 18th birthday. My social worker came over, helped me fill in my, my uh, universal credit. Well, it was income support back then. But do you know what I mean? I mean, I was at college at the time. And because I was a care leaver, I was entitled to universal uh, income support because I was in education. So, okay, let's call that something that was going to help me on my way to my career. Fine. But that shouldn't be what happens. That shouldn't be the situation. And just to say that the, the money is not enough. <laughs> mm. Because you're you coming out of a system that actually provided everything for you and then you have to live on that and you're not prepared for the real world. Exactly. Budget and all that. It, yeah, a lot of changes. That's where, that's where the £1,600 is useful. That is money that you can actually provide for yourself with enough to not be stressing out. But let's, you know, let the money be something that provides you with an ability to get a career, get a life, get a goal, get a journey not just to stop you from floundering until that money runs out. Do you know what I mean? On that, like with the benefits as well, sometimes going on benefits, it prevents you from working. Yes. It penalises you for working. There's just a cycle. I hear that, Shanika. It's one of those, someone once said to me, like, once you're in the system, you're stuck. Like, you ain't getting out type thing. And I'm one of those people where I was like, well, watch me, you know? (laughs) So it's like... Yeah, yeah. It is. It's so bloody difficult. It is so hard. They are not easy systems to navigate, you know, and we're not equipped with the best tools. But I think it moves us quite quite nicely on to the next bit of what are the main three points that we need or what we see needs to be prioritised in reforming the care system? So I can go first. And I think we've banged on about this like quite a lot as a whole. Um just funding, more funding for starters, but better spending with funding. Um, definitely with a, a strong um, leaning to that funding going towards better training um, for people that are working with young, vulnerable people. And also um, towards prevention side of work um, and the early help and creating spaces, community spaces, so that we are actually able to lean on community. I would say maybe allowing social workers to be more therapeutic in their approach. 
and to be less risk averse. In terms of being less risk averse, you can't really do that with safeguarding, but I feel like there should be a split in the system where there are social workers within the community, social workers that are actually able to be more like a counsellor or a therapist to young people. And also they have trauma training so that they can actually be able to better support young people that are going through these difficult um, situations and stuff. Also, that will allow them to actually have the space to care and to do the free stuff, actually show empathy and build good relationships, stuff like that. There has to be a system that nurtures that. So that's one of my important things. And I will add on to that accountability as well. Accountability with like targets attached to those accountability as well, like with the reporting and accountability with outcomes. And I would just add on end of that and reporting to also to learn from mistakes for there to be a system in place for people, for mistakes to be accepted and also learn from and people to not just be chastised against things a system that accepts learning from what's what has worked and what hasn't worked for me I think thinking ahead like the second you're in care it's about preparing for adult life obviously age appropriate like you have to be a child that's fine but in being a child you're preparing for adult life you know everything if you're not experiencing life how a child should you're not growing into an adult. So yeah, everything should be gearing towards that day when you turn 18 and you leave care. You have to be able to set sail. They're just shoving us off with this patchy holy raft and we're just drowning. Like you you have to be spending those years in care, building that boat. And then that day on your 18th birthday, you're like, yeah, I'm gone. Bye. Don't I don't even need this. I'm gone. Like, see you yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm off. You don't want that to be a scary day. You want it to be an exciting day. Uh, you know, the, the first day of the rest of your life, you want to be going on, on to that. And then I just wanted to mention as well about the prevention. Uh, for me, I feel like prevention should be far before even a child is being looked at as someone that needs help. So it should be teaching parents how to parent before children are even thought about. You know, parenting classes at school when you're young, there's, um, I can't put my hands on it or tell you where it is, but I've um, read about research that's been done that children as young as four who are age appropriately given a doll and taught how to give it a stroke and be nice to it and stuff like that are better parents when they grow up. So it really is like, let's start from the beginning. Let's be teaching people care and empathy and you know, how to be a good person and that will translate into how to be a good parent. So I really do think like we should aim really for a day where there isn't a system because everyone's a good parent. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, that's me. I love that. I think that would be brilliant. I think we're going to have to wrap up now, but I, I just wanted to um, finish it on. Normally, well, the OGs from listening to our podcast will know that we always like to stick with the theme of what advice would, would we give our younger selves? But For this episode, I think we was kind of thinking of what advice would we give to a young person that's listening who might be currently in the care system. Um, And I think collectively as a whole, we all wanted to kind of say, just get involved with the charity, um, see what's out there, do a bit of research. If you need to get get an advocate, if you need to get an advocate, um, just research, research, research and have a look, see what's out there and get in touch with us us as well. we'd love to hear from anyone that's listening um, and we 
we would love to try and help in whatever way we can as well um, and signpost some useful organizations that we might have been involved in um to recommend to you and we'll we'll list them all below too i just wanted to say me harping on about how your childhood is is preparation for being an adult there are ways that you can try and and do this yourself if the care system is not providing for you find out where you feel you need to grow and learn and and look at find interests and fight get an advocate and and ask for special funds to be made available you do have rights to like we've said the health and well-being uh stuff like that you have rights you have certain things that need to be met by social services get an advocate to help you with that I got it quite easy because mine was educational all my stuff was educational in the clearest sense George however he had to fight for so much of his funding to be able to go to tournaments and table tennis stuff like that because it was seen as like Evie said earlier a side dish but he got it funded so you you need to fight for that you need to research the policies and make them work for you until the day that it's much easier. But this is your care. You are in the centre of it and you have the power to do as much as you can to make that suit you. So, yeah, that's what I would say. I think we're going to wrap up now, guys. I think that's it from us today. But thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, guys, for joining me on the podcast. Let's talk conflict. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on Let's Talk Conflict at leaptc.org.uk or find us on Twitter and Instagram at leap underscore cc. This podcast has been produced in partnership with Leap Confronting Conflict and edited by Helena Webb. Let's Talk Conflict has been supported by the Esme Fairburn Foundation, the Curtin Magda Stern Foundation, the Treebeard Trust and the Rain Foundation.